Thanks for listening to Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Sometimes, even when you feel confident about a company and position during the interview process, you can still end up accepting a position that turns out to be different than what you expected. When this happens, you'll be faced with a decision to stay or go, but making that decision can be tough, especially if it's your first civilian job. Jericho Ormanita, an Orion recruiter, joins the show today to discuss his advice on what to do when you realize you may have made the wrong career move. We'll discuss some of the common reasons that a position isn't a good fit, how to determine if it's the right fit before accepting an offer, and what to do if you're already on the job. If you enjoy listening to this show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and share with a friend. We'd love to get your feedback, so if you have any questions about this episode or topics for a future podcasts, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Hi, Jericho. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Megan. It's great to be here. Thanks for uh, having me. Yes. So welcome to your first podcast. I'm sure you will do great because you've been here with us for a while here at Orion. So you'll have lots of valuable advice to share on this topic. And before we get into what the topic is, can you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, again, thanks. Thanks for uh, having me on here. Um, So I'm Jericho, uh, background wise, military, um, you know, came from the Naval Academy, graduated in 2014. Uh, I was a wrestler there. And then uh, graduated with a naval architecture degree. Didn't end up using it, which I think we can maybe talk about uh, through some of these questions we're going to go into here. Um, but I ended up going Marine Corps, so a commissioned Marine Corps officer, went through Marine Corps Engineer School. So I was a combat engineer uh, for five years. And then when I got out, basically I was um, you know, on the job hunt and was actually going through Orion for a new career. And it turned out that Orion had a uh, recruiter position open. So here I am now. Been here for about a year now recruiting for Ryan. Uh, I was in charge of the West Coast uh, recruiting effort over there for officers, but now I'm uh, out in the Midwest, still living in San Diego, but uh, recruiting for the Midwest now. So it's kind of, in a nutshell, what that looks like. Very cool. So people who are in the West Coast maybe have worked with you before, and now people in the Midwest, and I'm in the Midwest too. So I'm sure we'll be working together a little bit more closely too. So you know, kind of using that and everything that you just said about your background, one of the topics that we got as a question from one of our listeners, um, it was a recommendation that we got on LinkedIn from one of our listeners named Ryan. And he wanted us to talk about Mm -hmm. what to do when you realize that your first career out of the military was um, not the right fit for you. And so we want to talk about that in a little bit more detail. Um, you know, like you said, you might have some interesting perspective based on your military background, not necessarily being what you're doing now. Um, but before, before we kind of jump into the topic, did you face any unique challenges in your transition out of the military? Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't think I really did. I think my transition was fairly, fairly standard, you know, um, you go through TRS or whatever it is on the Navy side as far as your transition classes, and then you just get out there and you start job hunting. Um, you know, for me, I tried to go out on my own, certainly without the help of recruiters at first. And then I quickly found out that that's not the way to go about things, and you could send out 100 resumes and get back maybe one answer. Um, and so, you know, unique challenges, I don't think there was anything unique about it. It was very, very standard, you know. Um, I was hunting for a period of about three to four months before I landed, you know, this position at Orion, um, that there was really nothing, I guess, outside of the ordinary about it. I mean, the things that I dealt with were everybody deals with it when they're getting out. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of helps you though, because you can really relate to, like you said, it's a kind of a common thing where you get out and you're thinking, you know, there's all these jobs, but how do I actually get access? How do I get my resume seen? And that's something that we talk about. Probably anyone who listens to this podcast regularly has heard it so many times, but that's because it is, it's such a real challenge. And it's something that, you know, now, of course, the, um, the landscape of recruiting just with coronavirus and, you know, kind of the lack of opportunities out there. I'm sure that now is an extremely scary and um, hard time to transition out of the military. But the challenges, like you just mentioned, a lot of times they're the same. Yeah, they are. You know, I think the biggest thing um, that a a lot of, especially officers face when they're getting out is you do get told a lot of bum scoop coming out of the military. And, and I always caution people, hey, you know what, those things that you heard, you, you have to watch and really evaluate who you're taking advice from, right? Because a lot of what they hear is, hey, you'll you'll have a shoe-in opportunity to, as a project manager. Oh, great, you were a comm engineer. You can just be in a construction company, man, right? Uh, but just remember and take note that when you hear that stuff from people that you, while you're still in, if they're not out yet, that advice is essentially unqualified, right? Because they haven't gone down the path that you're trying to go to, which is transition. And so those things that officers hear, right, it's one of those things that, you know, they, they come in with this um, mindset that it's going to be easy to go out there and get something. Um, and I definitely had that mindset as well. And so I think that's one of the biggest things when you're transitioning out is to really figure out exactly what you're qualified for and figure out who in your network really is going to be the person that you want to take advice from because those people that are still your peers, your left and right, or even even your first sergeants, right, and your commanding officers, they have your best interests in mind, but at the end of the day, they haven't transitioned. And so their advice is really unqualified, in my opinion. <laughs> just my opinion mm-hmm. about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, kind of just going based on what you just said, when we're talking about, you know, all these other things that job seekers are thinking about as they get out of the military and they're looking for their first civilian job, you've got all these um, balls in the air, all these things that you're juggling in terms of, you know, interview preparation and trying to get to interview with as many companies as you can so you can make the best decision for you and your family if you have one. But sometimes it just, you know, if you, even with all the planning you do, sometimes it just doesn't work out. So, you know, in your line of work as a recruiter, how often would you say that you work with candidates who feel like they've accepted the wrong job opportunity? Um, you know, I, I think that's really, it's re- you, you got to base it in timeline. Um, I, I would say that, you know, these guys that maybe guys and gals that accept the job offer and are there for anywhere from, you know, three to six months, which I would consider short. I don't see that too often. Usually what I see is someone's been there for a year or two, um, and, and it comes down to different factors of why they would want to leave, right? Um, but that but that question of, like, if, if they feel like it's the wrong spot, um, I would say that you got to give it, like, at least a year. Um, and that's because I think that in any position, you know, transitioning through different billets, in the Marine Corps, and then even in this job for being being here for a year, I think that it really takes a person six months to gain proficiency and what I call, um, I guess you'd say residual proficiency or historical data proficiency because you, when you first come in, you can rock and roll, but you just don't know those nuances of who to talk to, where things come from, right? You, especially even in operations roles, there's going to be a lot of projects that are already running that you just have no idea what they're all about. And it takes about six months to learn that residual information and then six more months to become actually proficient, right? I think that for most people, they should really 
be making that sort of call after about a year or so. It sounds like a long time for a lot of folks. Um, but just because of that timeline, I would say that it should be about a year before you're ever thinking about, is this the wrong thing for me, right? I think making it short of that uh, is, is just, it's too fast, right? To really mm -hmm. evaluate truly if this is the wrong spot. Um, you know, I would say, are we allowed to say company names on this thing? Because <laughs> there's, there's a couple of companies that I get a lot of people who are like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, in the interest of ever wanting to work with them again, probably not. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, what I, what I will say is uh, it's an extremely large company, extremely, extremely large. Uh, it could be the biggest company that there is out there, but they have a very dedicated veteran recruiting program, right? They have their own. We don't work with them because they have their own recruiting program. And I get a lot of folks that come out of there um, for that reason that, you know, they, they got in and they've been there for a year, maybe two, and they just, it's just too much of a grind and they just don't feel that um, it's, it's the right spot for them. So, so that's really what I see is people that have been there for a year or two um, that, that maybe got, they're, they're waiting for that moment of like, okay, am I going to move up? Am I going to move laterally? Or, you know, am I, is my pay going to get increased? And when they don't see those things, that's when I see people kind of make that decision and start to think like, maybe this is the wrong spot for me. Yeah, you know, that's a good point because I was going to ask you, Jericho, and not specific to that company because I don't know which one you're talking about, but um, just in general, when people do decide maybe that it's the wrong fit for them, is it generally, um, you know, along the lines of this scenario that you just mentioned where it's like a lack of clear career progression or um, are there other factors? Would it be like lack of training or not a culture fit? Is there anything like any kind of trends that you see generally when people um, maybe like initially think this was not the right position for me? Yeah, yeah, you know, that's a great question. There are certain certainly trends that I've seen uh, for factors of why people would decide to leave a company. I think one of those main ones, like you said, is cultural fit. And then that's a tough one because when you come out of the military, it, it's kind of that culture is its own beast, right? And it's hard to find that in the civilian world. And I think that especially people with their first job, um, I think that's where I see it most is where they got out and this is their first position in the civilian world. That's where I'll see, you know, they're looking for a different culture fit. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest one, I, I would say the number one factor when people decide to leave jobs and are coming to Orion for potentially a new career is progression, right? They, they see uh, a flat structure, right? And it's because, in my belief, of the military structures, right? You're an 01, if you breathe for two years, you're an 02. If you're an 02 and you breathe for three years and have a def decent fit rep, you're an 03. When you get to 04, that's when it starts to get a little more uh, a little more picky, right? I mean, 02 to 03, it's like, I think 87 or almost 90% right now of basically promotion rate. And so they get to the civilian world and that does not exist, right? In the civilian world, you really, really do have to perform in, in a company, right? For promotion, it's not based on time, which I think a lot of people get that, get that messed up. Uh, you know, promotion and proficiency does not come with time alone. It is through evaluated experience that someone become as proficient at whatever it is they're doing and, and perhaps show the potential to perform the role that they are going for, right? I got a lot of supervisors that want to be managers, and I say, well, um, are you performing in the capacity of a manager? Do you think that's a job you can do? Or is it just a matter of, hey, I've been here for three years, I deserve this? And unfortunately, a lot of the time, the answer is, well, I've, I've been here for three years, I think I deserve it. Well, hey, you know, development is very much the responsibility of the person that wants to be developed and grow, I say. Uh, it's, not the, it's not the responsibility mm -hmm. of the company. 
I would say there's a factor too. You know, if the opportunity is not there for development within the company, some people get a little hung up on that. Um, but that's not as much of a factor. I would say that, yeah, that progression piece when people, when people just feel stagnant, that's like the number one reason people are going to decide to maybe switch. And that usually comes at about the two or three year mark. Yeah. I mean, I think those are all really good points, but you know, for anyone who is in a position that they feel like they've accepted, maybe they thought it was going to be different than it's turned out or, you know, just, they got in and figured out, Hey, this isn't for me. I do want to talk about some of the ways that you can determine that because, um, you know, before it's, it's always better, of course, to do that before you accept the offer. And especially if you have other offers on the table that you're looking at. So um, I do want to talk about from just from your perspective as a recruiter, if there's anything that you tell um, job seekers that you're working with about how they can decide if something is a good fit for them prior to accepting the offer. So do you have any like maybe like your top five tips for that? Yeah, uh, I would say, you know, top five, right? Um, there's, there's certainly your non-negotiables and certainly there's, there's nuts and bolts things that if it, does, if it doesn't hit those wickets, like it doesn't make sense, right? And so kind of to start from number one here, um, I would say, you know, location is probably the, the first one to determine, hey, is this a good fit for me? Because especially out of, you know, especially on the Marine Corps side, I know that Camp Pendleton is huge and the housing pricing is there is very expensive. So I got guys commuting like an hour, hour and a half that come, they used to come into base and work. Um, but in the civilian world, that's not going to fly, right? Employers don't want you to, you know, commute that far because that's a liability. Um, so it's a location. I always say if it's like within 30 minutes, hey, good to go. You hit the location. Um, the second one I would say is pay, you know, and pay is another one of those hard wickets that, hey, if it's not going to work for you, if it's not going to pay your bills, then you probably shouldn't be going <laughs> For that position, right? It, it could be the, the the sweetest, most high-speed job at right, like a Lockheed or something like that that everybody wants. But if that pay is not going to work for you, and if you have a family, not work for your family, then that's not the job for you, right? Uh, the third one, and these are a little bit more intangibles. Uh, I would say culture. You do have to look at the culture of that company. It's a little harder to evaluate, certainly when you're going through, you know, an interview process. Um, you know, can you really evaluate a company's culture based on three to four interactions with them? I don't know. You know. Um, but I would say that, you know, looking at the people that work there are a good indication of the company as a whole. And so if those people, right, they, if, if culturally like they're the kind of people that you would see yourself working with, then, hey, it's, that could be something you want to take a look at. Um, you know, fourth one here, I would say your boss, your direct supervisor, right? Because I think the person that you answer to is going to be one of the number one motivators of if you stay there or go. Actually, I think I read this on a... Um, could have been a Forbes article, potentially, maybe Business Insider. But basically, right, survey, number one reason why people leave employment is their boss says that survey, right? So which I, which I would say is, is a factor, right, their boss. Um, so I would say that, you know, in an evaluation process, look at your boss. And a lot of times that person that's conducting the interviews, that's going to be your boss, right, because that's the hiring manager that's hiring for the position. And usually they have some say um, in where you go and where you go could potentially be working for them directly. So I would say evaluate that, evaluate that relationship. Is that a person that you're going to want to, um, that you're going to want to work with, right? Work for, um, you know, is it a person that a potentially could have your best interests in mind? You know, I would say that in the corporate world, it's hard maybe to evaluate that or even find that, but at least, you know, do they have, are, are they a good person, right? Obviously in a company, everything goes up, 
right? That boss is there to make sure the company's functioning. He's not necessarily there to make sure you're successful. Hopefully he is, uh, and hopefully you find a little bit of that flavor. Um, but I would certainly say at least evaluate your boss if, if, they're, if they're just, you know, a good, solid person or not. Now, a lot, for different people, that's different things, intangibles of, you know, are they honest? Do they work hard? Do they have integrity? That kind of stuff, right? I would definitely evaluate that kind of thing. Um, the last thing here, right, and I put this last, and I think a lot of people will find this surprising to be last, but I would say, you know, just personal reasons, passion, right? Everybody's always trying to evaluate a job and accept an offer. Is it my passion? Uh, I always ask people, look, you know, if you're going to try and evaluate a job on your passion, let's let's figure out what passion means, right? Because to me, passion is, would you do it without pay? Would you do it for free, right? Because if you would do it for free, maybe that's a real passion for you, okay? And so when people say, uh, you know, projects are my passion, project management, I think I really want to look at this job as like project management, project management, or passion, I'd go, well, you know what? Hey, if project management is your passion, what if this company was like, hey, we're going to cut your pay in half, but you get to do exactly what you want, project management, man. And if the answer is no, then that's not your passion. And so you shouldn't be evaluating a job based on your passion. I think it, you must evaluate it based on, one, those hardline wickets, and two, right, the cultural fit, if, it's a, if it aligns with the values that you have, which could be integrity, honesty, hard work, whatever it would be, you know, safety, value to the customer, whatever it is. But they must align with those values, not with your passion. Right. So mm -hmm. that's why I put that last. Definitely. It's like icing on the cake. Right. If you can find something that's like, oh, man, I'm passionate about, I don't know, the environment. And we find you a environmental control role or something with some company. Right. That's like you're in charge of the environmental compliance. Like, sweet. That aligns with your passion. But a lot of times I would say, hey, put that thing last. Right. Build, you know, build your passions, pursue your passions outside of work. But the thing that needs to pay your bills, which is your job. Hey, I would say try to leave that out of it but if you can get it icing on the cake number five that's what i would say about those yeah you know i think that's actually a really interesting perspective and i hadn't really ever thought of it that way because i think a lot of times when you read these um you know career advice segments and listen to different podcasts they do always talk about finding your passion and so i i do kind of agree with you there and maybe this is like a um unpopular opinion, but I do kind of agree with you because it's like, even if you think that you're passionate <laughs> yeah. about something, it's, yeah, <laughs> I mean, doing it day in and day out, I'm assuming at some point it kind of loses the excitement. And, you know, like you said, the example that you gave yeah. an environmental controls technician, well, when you're doing that every day and maybe the four things that you had mentioned before, location, pay, culture, direct supervisor. If those things aren't aligned, then I don't know that you're really going to feel that passionate about it anymore. Um, and I totally agree with yep, you about exactly, your direct yeah. supervisor. They always say people quit their bosses, not their jobs. And I think that's so true. Um, I personally yep. have definitely worked for people that I have not jived with at all. And it makes 100% all the difference. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, those things about passion, that's definitely, when I start talking to people about that, they're like, oh, they're like taking it back because you're right. I, th I think the common <laughs> the common theme out there, right, is do what feels good, right? But feelings are fleeting. It's almost like dating, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to propose to a lady or a guy, whatever it is, whatever your flavor is, right, if you're going to propose based on passion, hey, passion's fleeting, so is beauty. And that choice may not be good for you in the next two to three years. And that's why people leave jobs. <laughs> But if you're dating and you're trying to find your spouse, your future spouse, and you're aligning it with those values and the culture that you believe is what you, you know, what you can stick with, hey, I think there could be some success there.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, moving past that, we're talking about now like the pre-stages of the job offer, but what about for candidates who do find themselves in the wrong job? Because I think you had mentioned earlier that you think it would take about a year for them to actually stay in the job and evaluate, you know, if it was really the wrong fit for them. So, you know, when, when you think you're in the wrong, in the wrong position, but you're kind of trying to decide some of the next steps, do you have any advice that you would give to our listeners about, um, you know, how they should kind of weigh those options about whether to stay or go? Um, like for instance, if they're deciding to leave, is there anything that they should keep in mind? Uh, yeah, I mean, anything that you should keep in mind, um, so I guess kind of two-part question, right? So things that they should keep in mind and how to decide. So first thing to keep in mind is, you know, this is one of those questions that I always get asked is like, should I let my employer know? And I would tell you that's heavily based on your relationship with your direct supervisor. Again, um, you know, in a company that may uh, retaliate for that, I 100% wouldn't say anything, right? Because in, in contractual obligations, right? All most of the job offers that we are going to see are going to say at will employment. And what at will employment means, and this is a lot of times spelled out, is they can terminate you for any reason or no reason at all, right? And so if you say to them, right, I'm looking at leaving, and they are not that awesome of a company, or that's not that awesome of a boss, they could cut you on the spot right there because they're they're legally allowed to do that, right? So it very much depends on the relationship of if you're going to tell them or not. I mean, I've had guys that have had very good relationships with their bosses and they said, hey, man, you know, this, this isn't working out. This is way too high travel. I am looking at other opportunities. And their boss goes, hey, you know what? Awesome. Thanks for letting me know. You know, we can open up a position here to try and find a replacement. And when we get one, if you could stick around and just train them up, you know, while you're looking, that'd be awesome. And then, you know, we'll let you go on your way, right? So I've had that happen as well, but it depends heavily on that relationship um, with your direct boss and your supervisors there. Um, now, how to decide? You know, a lot of people have different ways on how to decide things. I always say, you know, they throw out pros and cons, right? That's 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 always a good way to do it. Pros and cons. Um, hey, what's important to you, right? What is again? We go back to that value thing. What do you value most? What is it? Time with your kids. That comes into play a lot for folks that I have, especially the older guys. Um, you know, income. If you're trying to build wealth, whatever, right? Um, but another way to think about it, I think that I'd like to suggest too is, um, you know, come up with your requirements, right? Um, so your requirements could be like, hey, time with kids. Again, it could be the same thing, but instead of framing it in a pros-cons mindset, I would say framing it in a requirements mindset sometimes helps too, where you can say, here are my 10 requirements that need to be hit. Does this current position hit these requirements, right? And you can, and in that regard, you can also do like, did I hit 70%, 80%, 90% of my requirements? Like, what's my, what's my threshold? If I go mm-hmm. below a certain level of the requirements that I need, then maybe I'm looking at moving, right? Um, and the last thing I would say is for someone who's like, <laughs> if their, their mind's all over the place, and they're like, I got too many factors, I don't know what to do. What I suggest is there's a book called The One Thing, and it tells you how to drill down to your baseline thing. What is the, the line of the book is, what is the one thing that I can do right now, um, or you know, one target that I have such that everything will become easier or irrelevant, right? Uh, and what that means is like, what is the most most, most, most important thing to me, right? And if you figure that out, you can start to build things around it, right? And so that's another way to think about it. If you're the kind of person that's like, I made a list and it's like 25 things, it doesn't help me. Like, all right, we'll drill down to the number one thing that is the factor for you right now to decide to stay or go, right? 
and see if that helps you and see if, hey, my one thing, does this company or my job right now or my situation, is it fulfilled? If not, then hey, maybe you should stay, take, a, you know, take a look at maybe leaving that company. Um, mm-hmm. And that kind of comes ties into non-negotiables. Everybody's got their non-negotiables, right? Always think about those. Um, you know, for me, integrity is one of them. If a company ever, if a company ever lied in any of its business dealings or lied directly to me, I'm out, right? So, um, everybody has their non-negotiables. Fact, definitely factor those in, um, and those will also help you kind of make that decision. Well, uh, I I haven't heard of that book, but I know we have our suggested reading list, so I'll have to check it out and see if we've got that on there. And if not, we'll definitely add it. But you know, I, I think you made a lot of really good points there. One thing that stuck out to me when talking about, you know, if you do decide to leave, whether or not you should tell your employer, I think for me, it would come down to um, what would be your desired outcome from that? Are you telling them that in hopes that they will counter offer and, you know, try to get you to stay? Or are you telling them truly to just give them a heads up because, you know, for instance, even in the example that you gave, maybe it's too much travel and it's really not for you. So regardless of the situation, you want to get out. And so you're just giving them a heads up. So I think it kind of depends on what you want from it. If you truly are trying to get out or if you're wanting something to change, Um, but then kind of along those lines, if you do decide that you want to stay, do you have any advice for, you know, trying to make the best of it, whether it's, you know, even going back to the four things that you would, or the five things that you would give in deciding, um, you know, of, of how you were going to choose the cure. Maybe it was your direct supervisor, for instance, that you don't necessarily like. Yeah, so maybe yeah. if you decide to stay, um, do you have some tips like, you know, trying to change departments or anything else that could maybe um, put things into a better, you know, frame of perspective to where they can actually figure out, is this right for me? Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, if somebody decides to stay, I've I've had that happen. Um, you know, they're they're going through us, right? And we we kind of through an interview process, and maybe halfway through the interview process, or even at the offer stage, you know, they go, ah, I think I'm going to stick around, right? Um, and then you then you start to ask question, of course, like, well, if why, why would you stick around? You wanted to leave in the first place, right? Um, and and, that, and to me, that's a factor of you know, gain versus loss, right? Um, and so guys, folks that maybe decide to stick with their company, right, there, there's more to gain there than moving out of it, honestly. But if you decide to stay, right, how can you make the best of that? I would say a lot of that is very much um, mindset-based, honestly. And I know people don't like to hear that. But that a lot of times is mindset-based, right, because just like a cancerous person in a company starts with one person and spreads it, you know, the change in a company, too, in my belief, right can start with one person too which could be you i think um and the other thing too right is obviously you know you can change you can change your mindset and start to put things into action and put things into movement that will potentially change your situation but sometimes sometimes it's unavoidable you know sometimes companies they're they're just too deep into the weeds and into the wrong direction and you can it's very hard to change it um and so i would say that you know perhaps in that sense maybe just reprioritize some things you know um, I, I think people sometimes get their priorities a, a little bit mixed up. You know, they they would say that you know their job's taking up too much time or whatever. Um, you know, you would just have to get down with it and you know create more opportunities to spend time where you would like it. You know, um, I think sometimes maybe it comes down to a factor of maybe you need to stand up for yourself a little bit. You know, at, at, mm-hmm. at that job, maybe you're being pushed around a little bit. Maybe you need to stand up for yourself. And you know, 
have a conversation with your direct supervisor if that's your problem, right? I, I think that, um, you know, when people say, ah, I don't like my boss, and they ask him, well, you talk to him? And they, so, they say no, right? That could be a good place to start. Um, so, so, you know, there's a lot of things you can do uh, if you decide to stay to, to make the best of it. I think for the most part, it is, you know, that, that mindset of positivity and making things happen. Because I think a lot of times, um, you know, it, it's easier to stay in a, in, a, in a state, I guess, but what's the best word for this? It's, e it's easier to stay low, right? It's easier mm -hmm. to stay low. People love, misery loves company. There we go. Easier to stay low. Misery loves company. People just love to, you know, moan and groan about their situation. But it's, it's very few people are willing to change how they think about things and make the changes within themselves or their company to create forward movement. And so if you don't like your company and you're like, oh, my gosh, but I can't leave, hey, that's a very personal thing that you need to kind of square away and start changing really primarily yourself first instead of trying to change like other people around you. Um, but, you know, that's, I know that's a little, it's weird and deep. <laughs> that's just what I would say about <laughs> it. Well, you know, you you did mention a couple of times in terms of, you know, wanting to people to stay a year so they could actually evaluate. And I think that's good advice because a lot of times you will get into a job and you'll think, wow, this is so much different than the job description. But of course it's going to be because they're not going to be able to put down every last thing that you're going to be doing on a one to two page job description. So it's always to be expected that yeah, things yeah. might change a little bit. And, you know, that's just something that anybody, regardless of your job, people deal with that. So I, I completely get that. And I think that's good advice that you gave. But just in terms of I know people are always worried about being seen as a, you know, a job hopper and nobody wants to look that way. But yeah, I feel like yeah. it has maybe become a little bit. Um, less stigmatized. I could be wrong because I'm not the recruiter here, but um, in terms of the length, I mean, do you ever <laughs> tell people that they should stay in a position for X amount of time or does that not really matter? Um, you know, I, I haven't really told people to stay. If, if they want to, if they want to look through us, I, I give them that opportunity. Um, if they, if certainly if they've, if it's one of our companies and they haven't been there for a year yet, you know, I always, like, I tend to let them know, like, hey, man, you're like, this is a little too soon to make that decision. Um, if they're, like, under 90 days, I for sure will be like, hey, have you made any decision in your life uh, for any large thing and only given it, like, a few weeks before you made that decision? Like, of course not. You, you got you to gotta stick around and see what it's like first. Um, but I think something I wanted to mention you know, timeline-wise with that question of people don't want to be perceived as job offers, uh, it, it, you're right. It is less stigmatized these days, right? Because people gotta, people people are more high-speed these days. People are, people are you know, moving a groove and they're driving, right? So I would say two to three years in a position is usually pretty normal. You know, if, if an employer sees a resume with a person that's been at a few jobs, right? If they've been there for two to three years and then moved and then two to three years and moved, like, that's not usually a problem. Where I see a problem from uh, hiring managers is usually if someone's been somewhere from a year to like a year and a half, and that's like a constant trend with them, uh, that's usually an issue. So that's mm -hmm. why I would say, you know, give it at least a year. But if it, if the, if the, um, you know, if, if the perception is what the concern is, it's usually like two to three years. <laughs> so that's, that's usually, I, somebody needs to be there for at least two to three years before they're looking to make that move for, for other hiring managers to be like, oh, that's fine. That's, that's usually what I've seen. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm wondering if companies have more leniency if it's somebody's first job out of the military and it doesn't necessarily work out. Um, like, because at that point, I think most 
hiring managers, especially people that are interested in hiring military, kind of, um, I would think, factor that in a little bit to some extent where you don't, it's, it's almost like someone's first job out of college. You don't really expect them to stay there that long because a lot of times it really is just a stepping stone. Yeah, yeah, that, that little jump off point piece, um, that like the one or if you're there for like one or two years is your first one, that's not usually an issue. Um, I, I think the issue is a trend. Like if you establish a trend of one to two years for like multiple positions, like three right. to four different positions, like if you've had four jobs in six years, like that's not usually a good thing for an employer because they're like, well, am I going to be the, the, you know, the fifth job that you jump from the yeah. next year, right? So mm -hmm. that's what they'll be thinking. Definitely. So, you know, one thing I do want to talk about quickly is um, this idea of mm -hmm. sort of relates back to my next question, ghosting. And I know that we we talked about this so much, probably a little over a year ago was something that we saw a lot. Um, just and I think it relates to this topic where, you know, you interview for a job and then as it gets closer, you've accepted the offer, you start to think like, wow, maybe this wasn't what I wanted to do. So maybe essentially you're getting cold feet. But instead yeah. of handling it the correct way, yeah. you just yeah. cut off all communication, never show up or anything like that. So from your perspective, if somebody is, you know, second, second guessing a um, offer that they've accepted, they've not started work yet, but they've just decided this is not for me, how should they handle that? Yeah, you know, that second guessing thing, that's, that's a tough one. And I do have to talk candidates through that every now and then. And, you know, we, we just, I always relate back to, um, you know, that first question of like, look, what what do you value most? And does this company hit like 90% of those or 80% of those or whatever it would be, right? Um, and if it does, then you got to go through with it. Because I th second guessing comes from, it's, a, it's an innate fear and it's an innate self-doubt, which is to be expected, right? Because you're coming out of the military, you're going to the civilian world, you're doing possibly very likely with or the Ryan anyway you're doing an industry that you probably have never done before you know I like one, one of my best examples that I always use is we placed a he was a United States Naval Academy Chinese major NFO so basically a pilot right um, backseater and we placed him in a construction company so I know he was like I don't know if I can do this or not right um, mm -hmm. but those kind of things right where you're trying to get where you're self, you know, you have a little bit of self-doubt, understandable, you're, you're second-guessing a little bit, I would say, hey, you know, refer back to your one, non-negotiables and what those values are that you need to hit. And if this job hits it, hey, you, you got to make that thing happen, right? Um, you know, another thing to mention too is, uh, you know, on the flip side, right, sometimes you do have gut feelings that could be correct, right? Because, uh, you know, General Mattis, right, in his book, um, Call Sign Chaos, he writes in there that he made a decision one time, right? To, to authorize a missile strike in like five minutes, right? And all, all the staff officers come in there and if you made a decision to make a missile strike in five minutes and he just calmly goes, no, that took me 30 years to make that decision, right? And basically what he's getting at is, you know, all of your experiences and everything that you've ever experienced in life will play into those gut feelings that you have and that kind of requisite knowledge that you use to make decisions, right? So in some regard, if, if you have this gut feeling that, oh man, maybe this isn't the right thing, uh, I would I would suggest in that case to where it's like, dang, I, I just have this feeling that it's just not right. Sometimes you got to trust those. And in that regard, hey, you know, go through your experiences in your past. And if something lines up to this, it's a similar experience to what you're experiencing right now, maybe moving to a new billet, right, when you're in the military or making a, you know, a PCS, what, what house am I trying to go move to or whatever, like, 
those kind of things, hey, refer to them. What what did you do then? And can that be applied now? Because sometimes those gut feelings are correct. You know, there's that's what I would say about that for for like those you know those gut feelings of like I don't know if this is right or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that this has all been great advice, and I hope that our listener Ryan finds this to be helpful, and of course anybody else who's you know dealing with this issue or even transitioning out of the military and you know trying to figure out what um, would be their best move and trying to figure out the best culture fit and really how to determine that ahead of time, like we've just discussed. So Jericho, I really appreciate you joining me today and giving all this great advice. Yeah, appreciate the uh, time here, Megan. And I'm um, hope, you know, I hope somebody finds this valuable, you know, for their, uh, anybody's ever in a job trying to, you know, second guessing or whatever it is. Hey, I hope something that I said here, they can be of use to them. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Our goal is to help all military job seekers through their transition and beyond. So make sure you share our show with your friends. See you next time.